Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And, of course, your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, and share Smith and Jones as we bring you fresh content every Thursday as we are getting set for Game 1 of the NBA Finals. And it was high drama earlier in the week with the big-time comeback for the Celtics down 3-0 as Denver was sitting pretty, waiting for their opponent, it looked like it was going to be the Heat. Then all of a sudden, the Celts tried to flip the script, Jonesy. They won three straight. They were trying to be the first team in history to come back from down 3-0, and then they went home with all that momentum and laid an egg. And Miami came up with a massive road win in Game 7 to force their way back into the finals for the second time in four years as, again, we get set for Game 1 coming up in a couple of hours and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is probably not what the league wanted in, in that I'm sure they would have loved to have had Boston, L.A., another one of the historic matchups between the Lakers and the Celtics. But this is going to be fun, man, the Heat and the Nuggets. And we'll see if Miami can find a way to slow down the Joker. Well, I, listen, don't put, it past my, don't put it past Miami, Eric. I mean, I think about what happened Losing game six, I thought that was the death knell for them. I really, really did. And Eric Spolstra defiantly sat up on the podium and said, we are going up there and we will get it done. I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, that that borders on Charles Barkley. Guaranteed, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, and and they went up there and they got it done. And and it raises all kinds of questions about Boston now, uh, about – you know, Brown, unfortunately, Tatum was hurt. Uh, there will be questions about Joe Missoula. I mean, Boston, again, to the edge of a championship conference final last year, up 2-1 two, two, uh, in the finals in the fourth quarter, couldn't close it out. There's going to be a lot of questions uh, to, to answer for Brad Stevens. But, um, you know, the, the same way you'd never put it past Miami, they <laughs> – you know, improbable, yeah, and that's why they've been where they are. They just nobody could thought they could do it, and they use this us against the world stuff. Um, so somebody's going to make history. Jimmy Butler or or Jokic, one of them's going to be holding the trophy when it's all done. Uh, and I'm really, really intrigued to see how this how this matchup plays out. You know, one of the one of the angles to look at as well and I'm sure we'll talk about this over the course of the show but uh, a chance for Canadian NBA fans and certainly in southern Ontario to cheer on a guy like Jamal Murray and maybe see a Canadian hoist the trophy again for for a second straight year with Andrew Wiggins last year Um, Murray's been a fantastic story played so well in the conference final but there's going to be a lot of people I would assume um, again especially in southern Ontario and maybe arguably even more so across the country cheering for Kyle Lowry perhaps more than a Jamal Murray because of the Raptor connection. But, Jonesy, I wonder if there are some out there that maybe, not that they're necessarily cheering against Lowry or against Miami, but there's something special about the fact that Lowry was such a key cog in the Raptor yes. championship in 2019 and such a key cog in the franchise's history. And obviously with so many people calling him the GROAT, that maybe you, of course, for those that aren't following, greatest Raptor of all time, there's something maybe that where you just, eh. do you want to see him win a title with another team or do you want it just to have that one title and make that time and that moment with the Raptors that much more special? 
Yeah, and that's that's it, Eric. There are a lot of people who would would like to say, hey, you know, you needed us, you needed Toronto, you needed the, that team around you to win. But um, for a guy that's had a kind of subpar by his own standards regular season, Kyle Lowry's come alive in the playoffs. And, you know, that guy that I'm watching on TV progress to the finals, that's the same guy that helped the Raptors win the championship. Gritty, um, you know, like tough defensively, making big plays, hurtling his body around, just whatever it takes to get it done. And that's the attitude he's always had. But for some reason or other, it's come through even more so in, in, in the playoffs. But I'm with you. I do see a lot of people in Toronto, as much as they would be cheering for him, also saying, no, I want him to have the one, and the one was here in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, just as a quick little side as well, in, in Game 7, statistically the numbers maybe didn't jump off the page, but I thought he was fantastic, especially in that first half in helping build that big lead and just sort of calming things for the Heat and then establishing that, that dominant lead that I just spoke of. But if we go back even to Game 6, and you and I were texting about this, I thought it was a massive mistake. And who am I to question Eric Spolstra? But I thought a massive mistake to not have Kyle Lowry on the floor. And it's, there's no way to quantify this or qualify this. There's no way to know this for sure. But just knowing what I think I know about Lowry and his basketball IQ, Kyle Lowry would not have allowed Derek White to go in uncontested to the 10 and get that tip in. I think that thing would have been over if Kyle Lowry was on the floor. But I don't know how you feel about that. Again, there's no way to say with any certainty. But I was just surprised to see a championship player with his pedigree and experience sitting on the bench in a key moment at a, at, for a key play uh, in that game six. I was surprised beyond belief. Yeah, I, I was too, Eric. And, and um, I just look at the play and, you know, Eric Spolster defended Max Struess in denying the pass that was going actually, the pass that was actually going to go away from the basket towards center court because it was Jason Tatum. But, I mean, it's a moot point now because Miami's won the series. But I was surprised that they didn't have somebody on the ball and allowed a straight-line pass to Marcus Smart and then Derek White to go unencumbered to the basket. So, But like I said, it's a moot point now, and I'm looking forward to the chess match between Eric Spolstra and Mike Malone. And I'm looking forward to a battle of tempo. And... I wonder what the whistle will be like because we have some of the some of the great uh, floppers, the great, you know, embellishers in this series. And, you know, as 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 big and strong as Jokic is, I mean, there was one point in the series with with uh, the Lakers when he and LeBron brought out their best flops on almost back to back plays. Um, So I, I wonder what the whistle will be like. And, and by the way, Kyle Lowry's a, a pretty good at, uh, at selling calls, too. So um, I, I'm looking forward to this series. I really am. Like you said, Eric, I'm not sure it's one that the league wanted. Uh, you know, you had the potential for Boston and L.A., and you end up with Denver and Miami. But I, I still think there's some tradition there with Miami uh, going back to the finals. And for Denver, you're looking at history should they be able to pull it off. 
Altitude versus humidity. It's going to be a it's going to be a, a, a grind either way, whether the game's in Denver or in Miami. But uh, Jones, you talk about Kyle Lowry, and uh, we were chatting about the connections to Toronto. Uh, there's obviously news coming at some point. We assume in Raptorland as well. For more on that, plus the finals and a whole lot more, there's tons to dig into and dive into as we bring into the conversation national NBA writer, uh, Toronto Star sports writer, covering the Raptors from day one, friend of the show, Doug Smith. Well, Smitty, as we count down to the uh, tip-off of game one of the finals between Denver and Miami, we can get your take on the, on the finals in that matchup, and we'll get to that in a second, but as it seems like is always the case in the NBA – there is as much going on off the court as there is on it. I guess maybe especially we could say that when there's only two teams remaining, but there is so much talk about upcoming free agency and trade rumors and, of course, the draft. But the carousel of coaching in this offseason has been bonkers to try and follow. We'll get to Toronto maybe in a second, but two former Raptor coaches, one head, one assistant, now both on the move, with Adrian Griffin going to Milwaukee, Nick Nurse heading to Philadelphia. And why don't I start with that one, Smitty, with Nick Nurse, the former coach of the year, champion just a few years ago, now leading the charge for the team that he helped oust in round two back in 2019. And now he's going to be the head coach of one of the big nemesises for the Raptors over the last few years in Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's a really interesting hire. I'm not not surprised by it. I, I know he was a finalist in Phoenix for sure. But I think he probably picked the right team to join. Um, I think you know having a the last time he coached a team with a true superstar on it, he really won an NBA championship. I don't think he's going to do that in Philadelphia because there's a whole raft of issues around that roster. But I, you know, I, I think he's going to find a way to maximize Embiid at both ends of the floor without playing him 42 minutes a night. Doug, what does the uh, conversation look like when? Nick Nurse sits down with Joel Embiid. I mean, uh, it was interesting because I found it interesting that Joel Embiid said that he had no idea that the Doc Rivers transaction was going to be made. So if they didn't consult him on that, you wonder how much they would have consulted him on, and I'm speculating, on the hiring of Nick Nurse. And, you know, as, as Eric said, a former nemesis, or maybe still a current nemesis of Toronto, Nick Nurse is now going to coach Joel Embiid in Philly. I think, you know, Jones, I think a lot of that stuff was gamesmanship. And I think uh, if you're playing against the guy, you always want to be ripping him and trying to get under his skin. And the Raptors did with Embiid, and Embiid tried to do with the Raptors. Now that the guy's coaching you, I think everything's going to be pretty good. Um, I just like. I know Milwaukee met uh, Adrian Griffin, met with Giannis in Milwaukee before he got the job. So I think Nick's leaving now with Embiid to say, look, I can make you a better player. I can make our team a better team. Here's how I think I can do this. This makes entire sense. I, I think there are select few players in the NBA who carry that kind of weight. I certainly don't think there's one in Toronto for the vacant Raptors job who they would consult or ask to be, you know, you know, have a conversation with a, with a possible candidate. But I think, uh, you know, and that's just good due diligence, I think, on behalf of the Sixers. So, Doug, how does um, how does Nick take his uh, bag of tricks to Philly? And what do you think he does, um, you know, philosophically to try and get the Sixers to advance, to get them further than just the first round where they or the second round where they, they always seem to get stuck? Because 
He's got a different set of talent there. It's a different, a different, the team makeup is very, very different than it is in Toronto. Yeah, and that's going to be a big thing, Joe, because we don't know what the talent's going to be like at the start of training camp. Is James Harden going to be there or is he going to be in Houston? Um, what, what becomes of Tobias Harris? They have a bunch of free agents. Uh, I think three guys are up for deals. You don't know if any of them will be back. But I do think in B specifically, Nick was very successful and had his best year, obviously, the championship season, where he had a very talented seven-foot guy playing at the elbow. And I think that's where the next evolution of Embiid's game comes. He doesn't become as good a passer as, say, Jokic or Marcus All, but I think Nick knows how to get put a guy of of that skill set in a position where he can be sort of expand his game. And I think that might be what people look for. The rest of the stuff is the, the, the tricky stuff, the you know, pressing all over the floor and trapping the box and one stuff. That's going to that's gonna happen. It happens around the NBA now. It's not just Toronto. It's not only Toronto doing it anymore. So I think that just sort of comes uh, generically in, in, in the process of, of building a team. But NBA specifically, I think there are probably positions on the floor that Nick could put them that maybe Doc didn't, or maybe he didn't expose, didn't put them there often enough. That Nick's quite comfortable coaching. Smitty, are you surprised that Nick took this job, or took any job for that matter? No, I, I don't. I, I, I think he's a coach, and I think he's, that's what he does. And I know everybody says, well, he could take his $8 million and set every year and get a lot smarter and get a pick of jobs at the end of next year. But you know what? There were three really, really good jobs out there available for him. Milwaukee, Phoenix, and Philadelphia. I don't think there's going to be three championship-caliber teams available next summer, so he may as well jump in right now. And I, you know, I, I think... I, I don't think he was a good fit in Milwaukee. I think there were philosophical issues. I think there were probably financial issues. I know Phoenix. I think he and Doc Rivers were the two finalists in Phoenix. And he been Nick picked Philadelphia, which is six of one, half a dozen the other. What do you want to coach? You want to coach Kevin Durant or you want to coach Joel Embiid? I don't know. Obviously, you got, you got Nick chose to coach Philadelphia. Um, so I'm, I'm not, a, not surprised he's coaching again because that's what he does. And I don't think I'm entirely surprised that he picked the Sixers over the Suns if the Suns' offer was as solid as I understand it was. Interesting. With It's funny, Doug, with what Nick has, quote, left behind, unquote, here in Toronto, how, how do you think Toronto fits in the, in the landscape of a uh, look, it's it's kind of a plug and play for Adrian Griffin. It looks like it's a a plug and play for for Nick Nurse. Uh, do you think Toronto fits in that same mold where a guy comes in and or is or how much more? I guess my question would be how much more work do you think has to be done for a guy coming into Toronto with what has been left behind and what what Nick did over his time here. Well, there's just a lot of questions about Toronto going into the summer. And, and I think that any new coach, whether it's any of the five that we're hearing about or candidates we've written about, I don't think they're going to know because you know, the Van Vliet question is legit. Gary Trent Jr. question is legit. The Pirtle question may be legit. I don't know what they're going to do with Siakam. So I think they're, if you're the coach coming to Toronto, there's a, it's got, it's got, there, could, there could be a ton of work to do. Or, frankly, there could be no work to do. You've you got a plug-and-play. If, if they run it all back, 
then we just got to make this group better than Nick Nurse made it last year. But I, I, until we get some sense from Mazzaire, Bobby Webster, what, what they're, or from Fred and Gary, what they're going to do, it's hard for Coach to say what he's gonna, whether he likes the job or not because he doesn't know what he's going to get. So, Smitty, I want to jump back to uh, to the Raptors in a second and, and maybe just go a little bit further on, on Griff taking the job with Milwaukee. And, and I want to preface this by saying I think it's overdue. I, I'm surprised it took this long for him to get a head coaching gig. I thought he would have been a head coach a couple of years ago. But that said, is there any surprise or should we be surprised at all that let's use just even Philly that we were just talking about. Philadelphia – a potential championship contender chose a, 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 an, a an experienced head coach with a championship under his belt. Milwaukee, with a championship just a couple of seasons ago, still championship aspirations, choosing, yes, a former pre- player, yes, a long-time assistant, yes, one of the most respected assistants out there, but a first-time head coach to lead their charge towards another championship. The f- different philosophies behind that, any surprise in that? A little bit, yes, because... If and again, it, it comes back to the Bucks have a lot of free agents. I think uh, Brooke Lopez is up, Ingles is up, Wesley Matthews is up, um, uh, a couple of Dragic I think is up, and who cares about that? So I, I don't know what you're getting in Milwaukee, and maybe maybe to a coach that that uncertainty. You know, you got Giannis, which is a pretty damn good jumping off point. But if you don't have Lopez around him or Matthews with him or Joe Ingles to come off the bench and shoot. Where are you in the pecking order in the East? Now, they, they could redo everybody and bring everybody back and run them back and be fine with it. But if you're a coach, again, that's a situation like Toronto is. You're not entirely sure what's going to be there in September when camp starts. Even the Bucks know, the Bucks have a sense which way it's going to end up. And they want a guy who's going to be there for the next process of two or three years getting back to championship contention. And they don't want to spend $8 million on a Nick Nurse or a Doc Rivers or a Monty Williams. They'd rather spend four and a half on Adrian Griffin or whatever the number is. I guarantee you can get $8 million. But maybe that, maybe that factors into it. Doug, I mean, that's a pretty, in a sense, it's a pretty uh, bold move by Milwaukee. And they must have some real confidence in Adrian Griffin because – they are not one of these, oh, we're, we're, we're going to build it kind of teams. They, they're, they're in a championship window right now. And that's, I mean, they, they must feel really good about hiring Adrian Griffin to try and get them to a championship. I think Griffin's a great coach. And we've seen him coach a few games in Toronto with, uh, when Nick was away. And I know people who know him from Chicago days. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a, a very good communicator. And I think he's kind of in the... He's kind of in a quiet manner and mode of a bootholder. I'm not sure that Bucks team needs an excitable guy like Nick or Doc. You know, maybe they, maybe, they, maybe that's maybe that team responds to quiet. I think bootholder was probably a little bit more effusive and, and loud than Griff might be, but I think their personalities are far more similar. Maybe that's what maybe the Bucks feel, the Bucks ownership feel. That's what this roster best responds to. So, Smitty, I, I, I won't give the guy's name because I don't want to completely throw him under the bus, but I've got a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, who is like the biggest skeptic or cynic. Maybe cynic is a, is a better word when it comes to this stuff. He's always railing on me for 
coaching and the coaching carousel in the NBA. So this is almost like a custom-made question, I guess, for him. But there might be other Raptor fans that are sitting back saying, hold on a second, our now former head coach who helped bring us a championship, who was the coach of the year, is now leading one of our top rivals from our division, as much as divisions matter in the NBA any longer, and our top assistant coach, who we apparently interviewed, or at least were potentially interviewing, who we did interview back before we hired Nick Nurse, is now leading one of our other main rivals in the same conference in Milwaukee. Why aren't either one of those two guys good enough for our team? Um, I don't know if that's a fair comment. I'm taking my buddy's words and maybe some other Raptor fans, but um, using that as a bit of a jumping-off point, I suppose, could Adrian Griffin have been the guy here? Should he have been the guy here? And who might be the guy here or the woman or the person here when the dust settles? I think Griffin could have been the guy here under different circumstances. I think, and I felt this from the day after the season ended, it was time for change. Everybody was tired of everybody. And it was just been here five years, Nick 10. It it was time to make a break. And you can't have, if you make a break, you got to rip the bandage off and make a full break. I think Griff would be a good NBA head coach. I don't think he would be a good NBA coach moving one seat over in college. Because there would still be, there would still be a link to the nurse era. And I think Mazai and Bobby decided, you know what? Screw it. We gotta go. We gotta. We gotta get something brand new. Every assistant coach now is gone. There are no. The only staffers left are Rico Hines and Jim Sands. Everybody else is coached. So it's entirely clean coaching state slate. Deve- developmental front of the front row assistants. So it's a, it was time. It was time for something new. And yeah, maybe Griff could, will turn out to be a great coach. And I hope he does. He's a great guy. But I don't think it would have happened here. And I think it was the time for a very like. Absolute start over on a coaching staff. So, so as I let's stay with that, Doug. Give me some names that you think from all of the. I mean, this, this coaching search is extensive in Toronto. Give me your top three, top five. You think you know what that guy could come in here, or that woman could come in here and do a job and get. Meet maybe some of the expectations that people thought were not met last year. I, I, I do think Sergio Scariolo, who is apparently in a finalist uh, report out of Italy today, says he's one of the finalists, would be intriguing. I'm not really sure how FIBA or EuroLeague basketball will translate to an 82-game NBA season for a head coach. That would be an issue. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I might be in the minority on this, and I'm sure I am. I think Nash would be a good, good hire. But I think he learned a lot about coaching. And he learned a lot about himself. And I think he would, he might thrive in a more stable atmosphere. Because Brooklyn was a cesspool. It was a cesspool of people. It was a bizarre group of personalities. I thought for a decade that Kyrie Irving was a team killer. And I've been proven right at every stop he's ever made. I think he would be a great choice here. I hear nothing but good about Jordy Fernandez in Sacramento, who's associate head coach out there. We, we both, we all, between us three, we know a lot of people involved in the Sacramento team. And you can't find anybody in that organization, that, anybody in that organization that's on high boards of praise for Jordy Fernandez. I don't know him, but he's learned from a lot of great coaches and was part of a very successful team this year. The one name that I keep hearing, and I don't know how legitimate it is, 
is David Adelman in, in Denver. Son of Rick Adelman, who was one, probably the most underrated NBA coach of the time I've been covering the league. And has been highly touted by the Nuggets guys for a very, very long time. I don't know how far along he is in the process in Toronto or whether he's one of the three or four finals to interview. But I think he might be a dark horse to, to pay a little bit of attention to. If I had to rank him, I would go Nash, Sergio, Fernandez, Adelon. To be clear, Doug, when you say rank him, that's rank in terms of how you think it could go or what you would do if you were making the call. That's what I would do because you try to read his eyes mind. We've been around him for 10 years. <laughs> you, can't read it. you have no idea what he's thinking. Whatever, he's, whatever you think he's thinking, he's thinking the opposite. So okay, that, would, that would be my list of four in that order. Okay, so let me ask you this as well. We're, we're approaching the 30th anniversary of the franchise, so i got to imagine that this is not just trying to win the press conference and the headlines. But factoring what you said earlier, as we've all discussed, as most Raptor fans know, the uncertainty of this offseason, which direction is this team going to go? Are they going to go with a younger core and kind of rebuild for a couple of years? Are they going to run it back and, and try and do it on the fly and stay competitive and hopefully be back in the playoff picture? None of us know at this point as, as June is upon us. With that said, we already know that ticket prices are going up big time. They've skyrocketed across some of the price ranges for season seat holders and whatnot. Would no, I can't believe that. <laughs> would the hiring <laughs> of Steve Nash help appease some season seat holders and the business component of this, even if this were a bit of a rebuild? Like, Do you think the business factors into this, or will this decision strictly be basketball and what's best for the players and not just trying to win over the fans? Maple Leaf Sports has like room full of money. Yeah, like, like I'm sure they have room to they vault to money somewhere in that building. They have just doesn't have a cash in them. The money is not an issue. The the, the business aspect, Mazzaia's gonna hire the basketball guy he thinks is the right basketball guy. And maybe Nash sells some tickets or maybe Sergio sells some tickets. We don't know. But the the, the driver will be whether he thinks Mazai thinks his new coach can get the most out of whatever roster he's presented with. Frankly, maybe the sports has too much money. And I don't think well, you can't have too much money. Well, you can't have too much money, I suppose. But I, I don't think I don't think that's going to be an issue. And that, you know, frankly, now they're out from paying Nick most of the eight million dollars next year, so that's not a bad thing either. Good point. Hey, Doug. You know, we talk about players playing at home. What about Steve Nash coaching in Toronto? Like, you know, we we, we know there are inherent pitfalls and distractions. You you see that being. Any kind of issue with Steve being in Toronto with all the Canadians and the people that he knows and any of that? It, is it, uh, um, am I barking up the wrong tree there, or is, is there something that would have to be tempered there? I, I think it's an interesting point, Josie, because we all know that it does bother players. I think you saw, well, you guys, I know very well, when Damon went back to Portland, he hated it. He thought it was, that was a, as it turned out, a bad decision because Portland was very hard for him to be his, be his uh, hometown hero. I don't think, I think Anthony Bennett was a terrible fit in Toronto because he was from Toronto. I'm not entirely sure. I think a lot of people spent a lot of time asking why Corey Joseph, Joseph wasn't playing because he was from Pickering as opposed to why he wasn't playing because of his NBA skills. So I think it's, but I think it's different for 25 year old players than it is for 50 year old coaches. And frankly, Nash is not a Toronto guy. He's a Canadian guy. And he had that great run in 2000 Olympic team. He, he, you know, he was a general manager of the 
national team for really 2010s, but he's not a Toronto guy and he's an NBA guy. And I don't think, I don't think that would be, I know he wouldn't be bothered by it. And I'm not sure that I'm, the media, I don't speak for my brother and sister in the business, but that's a non-story. After the first day, you know, we, frankly, we, we, they had a Canadian coach in Jay. And it became a non-story like immediately. And I think it'll be the same way this week. Smitty, before we let you go here, um, maybe a perfect way to segue from you brought up the Olympics, and of course we're talking about arguably the greatest Canadian player of all time uh, in Steve Nash. Maybe not inarguably, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander certainly made some headlines this year, first time as an All-Star, and now Jamal Murray um, turning heads with his performance in the playoffs in the Western Conference Finals specifically, and now a chance potentially to win a championship with Denver. Um, it also then obviously sets up for a great summer with the two of them together, hopefully Gilgis Alexander and Murray at the World Cup and then looking ahead to next year, maybe the Olympics, et cetera. There's lots of storylines to play at here. But how much do you think Jamal Murray is on the Canadian radar, the Canadian sports fans' radar in terms of trying to get behind the Nuggets and rallying behind uh, perhaps Denver more so than Miami in this uh, finals matchup uh, beginning tonight? I think it's more a Toronto Southern Ontario thing than it is a Canadian thing. Because we all know him. He's grew up down the road pretty in Kitchener. Like, we know Jamal forever. Um, I think around the country, I don't think it carries that much resonance. I do think that it might become a story as the series goes along. Like Wiggins did last year. Like Wiggins is very much a Toronto product. But once he started playing so well and was nearing to a championship, he became a national story. I think the same might be true with Jamal, but I don't think it's there yet today. And again, in Southern Ontario, there's some conflict there because there's a lot of lot there's a lot of Kyle Lowry people out there, and I think that sort of tempers the Jamal expectations or interest because there are many people cheering for Kyle as there might be for Jamal. Smitty, we appreciate the time as always. All right, guys, talk to you down the road. That was Toronto Raptors writer, national NBA writer, and again, he's been covering the Raptors since day one. Friend of the show, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. When we come back on Smith & Jones, we'll, we will uh, hook up with another friend of the show. In fact, well, he's, uh, he's family, at least for, well, one half of the show. Jonesy's brother, Mark Jones, from ABC ESPN and the voice of the Sacramento Kings will join us next on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Doug Smith for joining us to tip off the show this week, again, we're counting down to Game 1 of the NBA Finals, Denver and Miami. But want to remind you as well to subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. In fact, if you're listening right now and you know somebody might be interested, hit the link, send it along to your friend or family member, and make sure you share Smith & Jones. Uh, I mentioned family member. Nice little segue right now to bring in Jonesy's brother to the conversation from ABC ESPN and the television voice of the Sacramento Kings as well, Mark Jones. Mark, I, I don't know where to start with you. Um, you had a great season that you witnessed in Sacramento. Uh, there's reports of a Sacramento assistant coach up for a potential, the potential uh, job opening here, the job opening in Toronto. Uh, you're, you're back in South Florida and the Heat have uh, managed to stay away from being a footnote in history, uh, losing a 3-0 lead and are into the finals. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure where to start. Let's start with the finals. 
you know, all this talk about heat culture, I guess we saw it on display uh, winning game seven over Boston on the road. Yeah, man, heat culture, people like to, you know, deride it and make fun of the phrase, but it's real. And especially when you see it up close, um, you know, I was sideline reporter and host for the heat back in the early 2000s and late 99s. Uh, and, you know, seeing that franchise from the bowels to the outside, uh, they do things a certain way. And as Eric Spolstroy says, we're not for everybody. And he's right. But the guys that they have uh, are always going to put out and they're never going to be afraid of embracing the big moment. And I think that's what you saw materialize last night. You know, um, you know, Jimmy Butler, the head of the snake, I can remember last year after losing game seven here in Miami, uh, being at press conference, hearing him say that, hey, we're going to be in the same position next year and we're going to finish the job. And, um, you know, his words were prophetic and his play, you know, Caleb Martin's play. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure what it says about the regular season. They had a turbulent regular season. They had injuries they had to deal with. Um, you know, they were five minutes away from being out of everything after being down to the Bulls in the play-in tournament. But uh, here they are going to Denver. And I remember, you know, um, after that game last year, game seven against Boston, when Jimmy missed that three that would have put them up and won the game for them, uh, as he was leaving the arena with his agent, Bernie Lee, before they made the left turn on the Biscayne Boulevard back to Jimmy's home. Uh, you know, Jimmy told me, he looked at his agent and said, what do I need to do to get better? You know, that was even, that was on his mind, even at that time, you know, his, his resolve was strengthened, even in defeat. And those are the type of guys that general managers and coaches love to have on their squad when it comes time to win. You know, it's interesting, Mark, when you think about Jimmy Butler as well, just, what, three, four, three, three months ago, not even in the All-Star game, and here he is kind of dominating his way towards another berth in, in the finals, second time in, in, in four years. And it makes me think as well, what wasn't working or why couldn't it work and click for Minnesota, let alone for Chicago, uh, for Philadelphia, and the fact that it finally did click for him. Because it's not like he was bad as a Sixer or as a Timberwolf as a Bull, but yet these teams were not able to keep him around, and suddenly he looks like the golden child for Miami. Well, because Miami and Jimmy are a perfect fit, that's why. And this you know, this is the second time now that he's taken to the Heat to the finals. They did it in 2020. And, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy um, Jimmy's abrasive. He's abrasive, and... You know, you saw him and Spo go at it earlier this year. Uh, people were all shook and wondering, oh, he's arguing with his coach. That's not arguing, man. That's Miami's love language. <laughs> you know, that's just the way they work. They're, they're functionally dysfunctional uh, from the outside, but to them, that's just how they communicate. It's like Jamaican families at the, at the dinner table. Everybody's yelling at each other. That's just the music of dinner. That's the way it is. That's the soundtrack. And... You know, those other franchises, I guess, weren't the right fit for him, but he finally found, um, you know, the, the place where both he and the coach and the front office speak the same, same language on and off the court. You know, when Jimmy first came to Miami, um, his very first day, you know, he told me he met Pat Riley in the parking lot, the underground parking. Riley walks him into the weight room. Riley steps on the scale. 
looks at the scale, says, hey, Jimmy, that's my normal weight. You step on now. So Jimmy takes off his pants, it goes right down to his underwear, steps on the scale, took everything out of his pockets, and it was so important for him that when he stepped on the scale for Riley that he was at his game weight, which he was. And I don't think you find that everywhere. Yeah, interesting. Mark, listen, if if the Heat are able to complete the job in the in the finals, and and you know, Eric, we've seen a lot of basketball. Many people may not want to admit that, but it may be one of the great runs in postseason history. So mm-hmm. you're talking about a seven seed, which would be the lowest seed ever to win a championship, and they've do- right. knocked off number one in the East, number two in the East, and they would have knocked off number one in the West. I don't know if there are too many championship runs that have ever been better than that. And, you know, that's what that's the prospect that, that is staring Miami right in the face right now. Yeah, yeah, eighth seed, man. Um, like you, you just chronicled it, man, beating Milwaukee, who, by the way, had the best record in the NBA, Boston, who was second in the East, the Knicks in between the sandwich, and – you know, like I said earlier, I'm not sure what this says about the regular season, but, you know, playoff Jimmy is a thing. And, and I think when you look look at what the Heat have been able to do, and, yeah, I think it is one of the probably top three historic runs in all of sports history towards a championship, um, they're breaking the mold here, right? They're breaking the mold of uh, the perceived super team, right, where you have you know, three superstars or two of the top ten, uh, two or three of the top ten players in the league on one team. They're breaking that mold. They've done it with a, a bunch of unheralded players who have come up through their system or guys who are, like Caleb Martin, outperforming their contracts right now. And uh, I, I think it's going to give cause for other general managers around the league when they're putting their teams together, just like Denver in a way, you know, outside of Joker, you know, Jamal Murray hasn't been named an all-star yet. Uh, it's, it's a team that fits. And that's what I think makes this, this, uh, this series, this, this finals really intriguing. And by the way, guys, I don't, do you guys know, are you guys aware of the, the Caleb Martin story? With J. Cole? With J. Cole? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like how amazing is that? Karan Butler told me that while it was happening, last year in 2021 and uh just think about maybe jay cole should be named the nba executive of the year then right (laughs) at least put him on the payroll for something yeah no doubt about it no doubt about it yeah it all all started because jay cole mentioned quran in one of his uh songs back in like 2019 yeah well he's up he'll be up for he'll be up for he'll be up for global ambassador for the miami heat won't he (laughs) Oh, easy, easy. <laughs> yeah. I was going yeah, yeah. to say, if you're, if, you're, if you're Nico in the Scarbo shooting stars there, you say, hey, Jay Cole, man, we could have Caleb Martin playing in the uh, CEBL for us instead he's down in Miami. And he's I know, damn I know. close to winning the Eastern Conference MVP. <laughs> well, and, and, and listen, listen, we were laughing about it, uh, Eric and, and Mark. Jay Cole playing in the CEBL last year, like that's a major flex when you can check into the game in a pro game to your own music. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. That's the ultimate flex, man. I I did the Celebrity All-Star game a few years ago, and he threw down a great alley-oop slam dunk. So uh, that, it was at that moment I thought, wow, this guy's actually got some real basketball skills and some real bounce. 
Hey, Mark, just when you were talking there about the, the heat and the makeup of this team and, and some of the guys that were sort of cast-offs and castaways that have come together to, to form this, this nucleus, is it fair to make a comparison, either tight or loosely, to what Detroit built back in the day in a similar fashion, or am I off there? It's kind of close, I think. I mean, just um, a bunch of really nice pieces that fit together that ended up beating a, a you know super team. The Lakers that year in 2004, um, an elite coach, uh, you know, Larry Brown, as compared to Eric Spolstra, who, by the way, has never won NBA Coach of the Year, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I think there's some, some parallels there. Um, and I, I think when you look at um, just the greediness of the, both those teams, respectively, uh, I, I think that's where it starts. Hey, Mark, I'm what are the pitfalls? The final, though. Yeah, I, I am, too. I am, too. And and. Uh, you, you've got you've got one of the. It's going to be a great chess match between Michael Malone and and Eric Spolstra, um, and the two teams are are the way they're built. Um, you know, styles make fights, and I just think about how Spolstra is going to figure out a way to attack Jokic and Michael Malone keep hiding uh, hiding him the way he did in the Lakers series. You know, we kept saying, well, where's the ball screen? Well, Jokic would stand on the block and just, hey, take my guy. He's coming up to set the screen. I mean, Michael Malone was, was, was really, really good at that. But yeah, pre-switching. Yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah they call it pre-switching now. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and, yeah, and they joked it really well all season. And the difference is, Paul, they've got the pieces to hide him well now. Yes. Too. They, they, you know, they've got Aaron Gordon, who's an elite defender, and they've got Bruce Brown coming off the bench, who does the same. And KCP is a better-than-average defender. So when you've got three guys like that, you can afford to, to hide Joker's weaknesses defensively, and that's why it's worked for them. So here's my question then. I'm, I'll be watching that part of the chess match, but who, how, what do you do with Jokic if you're Eric Spolstra? Like, who's the guy? Like, wh- what do you do with him? We saw, uh, you know, we saw, I think, Tristan Thompson probably should have played more in that Lakers series from what I saw towards the end. We saw the Raptors almost put the blueprint out there uh, with guarding with an OG Ananobi, and we had George Carl last week talk about coming with a bigger double guy in Pirtle or, or when, when the Lakers came with Anthony Davis as a double guy. What does Miami do? What do you think they're going to do? What might Spolster do in trying to sh- slow down Jokic? You're not going to stop him. You only have to s- try and slow him down. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, they can – I think the best chance might be that 2-3 zone that they've had success with. Um, you know, even though the, the problem there becomes, um, you know, Joker is such a good passer, he sees over the top of the zone, right? And he becomes the fulcrum of things uh, around the top of the key, top of the lane, or just passing over the defense all the time. But I think that might be – one of the best options and Spo has been very adept at going to the zone at just the right times throughout the playoffs and the regular season. Miami through the regular season uh, had more zone defensive possessions than any other team in the NBA. And I, I expect them to use it uh, uh, frequently in this series, but when it's a man to man deal, um, you know, they're going to have to, I think play a little bit more, Kevin Love and be a little bit bigger 
uh, as opposed to I don't know whose minutes he's going to eat into because normally he eats into Caleb Martin's minutes, but you can't sit Caleb Martin right now. So that's part of the dilemma. And then the other part is, you know, if you're talking about bringing back Tyler Hero for game three, uh, I don't know whose minutes he eats into. I'm, I'm not even sure that's a, that's a great thing right now. You know, and that sounds absurd to leave 20 points a game on your bench. But if you, but if you go back and watch at the other end, I think Miami might have to try and, as crazy as this sounds, um, just really grind it out and out-execute them at the offensive end. And I think there's a lot of opportunities there, um, you know, for DHO actions, uh, Zoom actions, you know, pins to get Joker in space a little bit more because if Miami shoots the three the way they did against Boston, um, then they're going to have to have their – if they have their shooters handle the ball and, you know, if Aaron Gordon is on Jimmy Butler, right, Paul? And right. uh, they put two on the ball, they hit Jimmy, and then becomes Bam playing four on three on the back end with Joker in space unless they put him the low man. But Bam all year has been able to hit that free throw line 15-foot jumper. So that becomes the key to the series. Mark, um, I think we've only got you for a couple more minutes here, so I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention, as Jonesy did off the top, um, your your links to Sacramento, obviously, calling games for them all year and a great run for the Kings and a, and a fabulous first-round battle. But even putting that aside, what can you tell us about the, the coach, let alone the man, who's been you know hotly rumored <laughs> and linked to the Toronto chatter as the Raptors are still looking for a head coach and Jordy Fernandez's name keeps coming up time and time again? Yeah, brilliant offensive mind, brilliant defensive mind, great sense um, of player development. Uh, you know, Mike Brown hired him in Cleveland as a player development coach, which really was the, the start of his coaching career. And um, Jordy has uh, great communication skills with players, well-respected by players, um, draws them up exceptionally well, and, and you know, just really has a wonderful feel for the game um, and is able to see it through a bunch of different prisms when the time calls for it. I mean, um, he, he was a big part of um, Sacramento's uh, success this year, finishing third in the West, and he would be a fantastic choice. You know, he's interviewed with the Raptors twice, I'm told, and, uh, you know, he's been extremely impressive in every interview that he's had this year. He's interviewed with Milwaukee, he's interviewed with, Toronto. He's interviewed with Phoenix, where he's a finalist. Um, and there have been other places that have uh, kind of reached out a little bit to him, too. So, um, you know, if it is Jordy, you guys will be getting a fantastic coach who has worked with stars through the years, right? I mean, he worked with uh, Joker in, in Denver for seven years, where he was a valuable assistant coach and um, has a, a wonderful hybrid of international uh, and American basketball experience. But we want to keep him in Sacramento, so forget what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, listen, Mark, and, and you, you'll remember the night that Sacramento came to Toronto. Uh, Mike Brown got himself yeah. right out of the gym. And yeah, uh, it's like, like, like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, he turned and handed the book to Jordy Fernandez, and they ended up beating the Raptors. So, uh, all Masai and, and Bobby Webster have to, in the front office team, have to go back and look at the audition tape there. And uh, you know they've they've got a they've got a working model right there in front of them. 
yeah, Jordy would be a great selection, and uh, he won't be an associate head coach for long or assistant coach for long, whether it's uh, you know Toronto or or anywhere else. Um, and a real um, a guy that uh, you know in this day and age too, man, you see it on the sidelines when your coach has positive vibes. That's a big deal, you know. Um, there are some coaches, believe it or not, around this league that I believe really don't like players as contradictory as that sounds. Uh, the job can be a grind for them, but Jordy truly um, enjoys being around the players. And he was the one that actually came up with the defensive player of the game uh, heavyweight belt award this year to try and incentivize the Kings to play better defense. And it became a really big thing this year alongside with uh, lighting the beam. All right, man. Listen, uh, get the room ready. Uh, uh, who knows? Yeah. I might show up. I might show up for game four or five. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's I know there's a, a space in the garage and you might yes, you yes. might want to use you might want to use that one for Eric. If I if I if I bring him <laughs> along with me, you, the garage is it. nice. You got it, man. I'm, I'm right now. I'm staring at my nieces. One of them is wearing a Spo nose T-shirt. But your nieces, Paul, uh, your nieces, one of them, the older one, Gloria, is wearing a Spo nose T-shirt. And the other one's got a San Jose State basketball jersey on, and I got to take her to her workout because we have the slot after uh, Alex Lynn and Andre Drummond who are finishing up their workouts now. So it's gym nice. time. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I, I know if you cut my older niece open, like the blood that spews out will be imprinted with Miami Heat. I know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was wonderfully obnoxious last night watching the game. Oh, I, we were right it's, the only, yeah. it's the only good thing I can take that I wasn't around her because all I would be hearing from Uncle Paul would be hearing about how good Miami is. I got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should have seen her at, uh, at the arena. We went down to game six. It was wild. It was wild. It's a good time. Thanks, Love Mark. Playoff, guys. Hey, thanks. I got to run, man. All the best. That was Mark Jones from ABC ESPN and the television voice of the Sacramento Kings. All right, Jonesy, I think we've got maybe a minute left. Could be less than that. You know it's coming. I haven't asked you the entire show. I've got my pick ready. I don't want I don't want the you know like seventeen different answers. I want one no. answer. Who's winning? And maybe if you want to even give me in how many. What's your prediction for the finals? I think it's going to be Denver. Uh, I just I just don't know if Miami can finish off this run if they do i tip my hat to them it might be one of the greatest postseason runs in sports history never mind the nba beating one and two in one conference and then when you cross over beating the best team in the other conference so i i I don't know if they can do that if they do i tip my hat to them i just think this is denver's time you know we we don't we have traditional teams that always show up in the playoffs you know the lakers the celtics you know, even the Heat, it's the sixth finals in the last 13 years for Eric Spolstra. And, and I, I, you know, they're one of the – but like when the, the year we were there, Eric, and we rode, we rode the, the bus and the plane when the Raptors won it, sometimes it's just your time. And I think this – after 47 years, this might be the time for the Denver Nuggets. Well, at the risk of being boring, folks – I'm taking Denver as well. Denver in six. I've got the Nuggets winning it. So both Smith and Jones picking the Nuggets. We'll see if we uh, are right or wrong as time unfolds here over the next two weeks. We'll be back again next week 
on Thursday with another fresh edition of Smith and Jones. And as, as I've been telling you for the uh, last month or so, we will keep the show rolling right through to the draft and perhaps the first couple of days of free agency as well. So stick with us right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and your favorite podcast platform. We'll talk to you next week, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Smith and Jones.